0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
1: And your children and, uh, and grandchildren, we're going to receive our morning ties and offerings.
0: Jesus, for the cleansing power, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? you wash in the blood Blood.
1: Gospel singers. Excellent. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of James. James chapter 2. And uh, I'll be referring to a couple of other scriptures, but you can just keep your Bibles open there. And uh, while you're looking for that, that's kind of a short book, so it may take you a few seconds to find that. Um, Let me say that one liners or, or sayings have been part of every generation. Some of them are just plain silly. Uh, Silly sayings, but others are packed with some pretty good insight. Uh, Such as the saying that you've heard, actions speak louder than words. You ever hear that? You ever say that? Um, Or how about this one? A handful of patience is worth more than a bushel of brains. Um, Here's what initially appears to be a silly saying, but, but it's got some pretty deep truth to it. If a husband would treat his wife as though she were a thoroughbred, she'd never turn into an old nag. Is that pretty good? How about this one? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. hmm Anybody say amen? Um, all the women like this one. If you want something said, ask a man... If you want something done, ask a woman. And all of the women said. But then the men like this one. The reason that woman was created last is so that God wouldn't have to listen to her nag while he created man. And all of the men said, no, don't use wisdom there, guys. And then we've all heard this one. If the shoe fits. Wear it, or as the motto for women would be if the shoe fits, buy it in every color. Now, as we talk about sayings, I I also point out to you that there are some good sayings that appear to contradict each other. Listen to these two sayings Look before you leap. Here's the second saying You snooze, you lose. Now, one saying tells us to be careful and, and go slow before jumping into something. And, and then the other saying is like it's the exact opposite. and says that hesitating, going slow could cause us to lose out. Now, as you look at these two sayings, which is good advice? Look before you leap or you snooze, you lose. They're both good advice. If you were speaking to a group of cliff divers... Probably the one that would be most appropriate would be look before you leap. But on the other hand, if you were talking to a farmer during harvest time, you might need to remind him, hey, you snooze, you lose. In other words, you better not snooze till noon. Get yourself out of bed. Get to work. So you have two contradictory, at least apparently contradictory sayings. But yet both are great advice depending on the situation. Now, as you study the Bible, you will also find concepts that initially seem to contradict each other. A prime example of this would be brought to center stage by by two great men in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle James. And as you read after them, it's almost as if Paul and James are having an argument, going back and forth, like, like two siblings. Paul says one thing, and then... It looks like James shoots back with a statement that contradicts him. For example, Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one could boast. So Paul says salvation is grace plus nothing. Nothing. But then in the book of James, it's as if James strikes back, and he says this in chapter two, verse twenty four, says, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So so Paul says we're we're justified by grace alone, not by works, and, and James says we're justified not by grace alone, but by what he does, by works. Now the question comes up who's right? I mean, is salvation by grace alone, as Paul says, or is is salvation a combination of grace and works, as James seems to indicate? Well, if, if you understand the context of both scriptures, you will see that both Paul and James are right. And so let's study this. And let's begin by looking at Paul's statement. He says, you're saved by grace, not of works. And I think we could all come out and and say a big amen to Paul because this statement lines up with what the rest of the Bible says. Salvation is by grace through faith. Amen? Are you convinced? If salvation were because of good works, then the question would be how many good works are enough? Let me illustrate it this way. You know, if salvation were by works and you would ask me, Joe, are you saved? Then I might start thinking and say, well, hmm, am I saved? Let's see, I prayed yesterday. I read the Bible yesterday. I didn't curse. I didn't lie. And even though I was in a hurry, I mean a big hurry at the grocery store, I let the little old lady go through the checkout line first. And so if I would think about all of those good things that I did yesterday, I might have the tendency to feel pretty good about my chances of salvation. That is until maybe I remembered Yeah, yesterday I did kind of get upset as well. <laughs> I got a little impatient with my wife when we were getting ready to go out to eat and had to wait. And, and maybe I got upset at my grandson when he spilled his drink and... Maybe when I found some cat hair on my pants, I did kick the cat and not real hard, just a little gentle kick. And, and so remembering that part of my day, I would have to evaluate things and say, okay, does my letting the little lady go first at the grocery store and my Bible reading make up for my being impatient with my wife and getting upset with Jace and, and then kicking the cat when it left some hair on my pants? Do, do, do you see that? Do you see what I'm trying to say? And some of you, you're saying, Pastor, you lost your temper and kicked your cat? No, you know that I don't have a cat. If you attend here, you know I don't have a cat. But but if I did have a cat, there would be the temptation to kick the cat, but not so gently. But anyway, moving on, don't report me to PETA. I don't have a cat, just an illustration. But what I'm trying to say is that if you depend on your good works for your salvation, then how do you know when enough is enough? Don't ever forget that that you're saved by grace through faith. And when God's hand of grace reaches down from heaven and your hand of faith reaches up and you clasp hands, you grab hands, that's salvation. You know, Martin Luther, back in the period of the Dark Ages, was desperately trying to earn his way to heaven. And and there in Rome, day after day, he would go to the Church of the Lateran. And at the Scala Sancta, or... or the holy stairs martin luther would climb up those stairs on his knees suffering tremendously thinking in his mind that for each step he would earn a year's worth of indulgences but one day while climbing on his knees hurting and suffering he was startled by a sudden voice that seemed to come out of the heavens and and it gave him that verse in romans chapter 1 verse 17 that says the just shall live by faith and and at that moment the light came on in his heart and in his mind and martin luther was on his knees and he jumped to his feet there on the steps and as he realized he could not work and crawl and suffer his way to heaven. Salvation is by grace through faith. The just shall live by faith. And and that truth so gripped Martin Luther that he took those 95 theses or in other words the 95 statements and he nailed them to the church doors and the Reformation, which was one of the greatest revivals the world has ever known, was born out of this truth, so we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? You say, okay Joe, you're obviously on Paul's side that salvation is by, by grace alone and yeah yeah, I am on Paul's side. but I'm also on James's side because what James is saying is also supported by the rest of the Bible. Uh, again, James says that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, to be able to reconcile his statement, you have to understand that James is not referring to the same thing that Paul is. Let me me illustrate it this way. Take a look at me. I mean, this young-looking, buff, uh, good-looking, fit pastor here. Just look at me for a moment. But as you look at me, Do you see my salvation? No, you can't see my salvation. You can't tell what's in my heart. Now, I can say I'm saved. I can say that I've been filled with God's Spirit. I can say that I have a wonderful walk with God. I I can raise my hand in worship. I can attend every church service. But you can't see into my heart to see if it's reality or just a show. You know, the, the only way you know anything about my walk with God is by the circumstantial evidence of my actions and my reactions. And what James is saying is that we should have a show-me faith. We should take the faith that's in our heart that comes about by grace and then that should automatically be translated into works and then through those works, others can see that our salvation is more than just talk. So, so please understand that there's no contradiction between Paul and James. Paul is talking about the root of our salvation. James is talking about the fruit of our salvation. And if the root is there, the fruit should also be there. Paul is talking about a no so salvation. James is talking about a show so salvation. That there's no contradiction. James simply being the practical person that that he is, he says that people who have a say-so salvation must also have a show-so salvation. You know, James is not saying that works save. He's not even saying that works help save. Not at all. But true and genuine faith will produce works. And if there's nothing that shows, James says it's a dead faith. Rich Mullins wrote a song with this scripture in mind and he said, listen to this, it's kind of an interesting, interesting song says, faith without works is like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. I mean, just try to picture that in your mind. Um, that, that's the way it is, though. Now, let's look at three characteristics James gives us that shows if our faith is real or if it's dead. First of all, according to James, a dead faith has no compassion. And James gives us an illustration to help us understand this. Uh, In in verse 15, James chapter 2, says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, let me uh, bring, give an example to bring this closer to home. And Tim, could I just pick on you for a minute? You can stay back there. Um, let's say that five years down the road, uh, Tim comes to my doorstep, and, uh, and and Tim has fallen on hard times, and uh, Tanya's kicked him out of the house, and... and uh, and Tim is dressed in rags it's a cold wintry day and he's shivering he's all skinny and hungry and he knocks at my door and, and, he, and he said please Pastor Joe don't you remember me it, it, it's good old Tim Wilson and I was always the quiet and the shy one in church and the one who was just seen but never heard and remember me oh Pastor Joe could, could you please help me I'm so cold I'm so hungry now let's say it inside my house I've got extra clothes and coats and a pantry full of food and there's poor old Tim out there on the steps just a shivering. And I say, Oh, Tim, bless your little heart. Oh, bless you, Tim. Oh, Tim, God bless you, brother. May God help you and touch you and give you peace and comfort. But go away. And that's basically the illustration that James gives. He says that the mere words of, oh, God bless you, Tim. God bless you. God help you. You poor boy. Those words alone do not do a thing. He says real faith and real salvation gives you a compassion for other people that extends beyond just talk. Talk is cheap. And James is basically saying, and this is my translation, put up or shut up. Quit talking and start doing. You know, at this church, we love those times when God moves in an amazing way, whether it's inside the, in, in the church service or in our life groups or whatever. But my question is, what do those good times supposedly cause us to do? Do, do we just keep those good times to ourselves? You know, when we uh, when we travel on vacation or visit relatives, we try to go and 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 visit other churches. And and uh, when we visit some relatives, there's a a small church in another state that, that we've been to several times. And 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 when we go, it's you know it, it, it's interesting. And they have about 15 people there, and 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 they will talk and just about how the glory of the Lord was there in the service and. Just their services are so amazing. And, of course, you know what the favorite line is. Uh, you know, we had a good service, no preaching. You know, that's what makes a good service when there's no preaching. And, uh, you, you know, time after time, that, that's kind of what the, what they say. But, but every time we go, it's like those same 15 people are there. No more, no less. And, you know, I, I got to thinking, God's presence is there. And you all are not sharing that with anybody? Just the same people over and over? Sometimes it's like us four no more. Whatever's in these four walls is just us. You know, a faith that is alive can't help but show love and compassion to others. And and what we experience here today, you know, the amens and the uplifted hands and and, and those tears that uh, where, where you sense God's glory, God's presence cannot remain here god has called us to take his love and his presence to others and how does that happen by our good works i was reading about a missionary returning after many years of service to the people of new guinea and which incidentally is where uh pastor mark sir who comes to the early service and i were headed to today as soon as the late service ends i hope the pastor doesn't go late because We fly out of Kansas City at 5 and we have to leave at 1.15. We're going to head to Minneapolis and then LA and then a 14-hour flight to Australia and then another flight to Port Moresby and then take a a road trip and then another flight. And I don't know where we're going to end up, uh, hopefully at the right place. But uh, I I ask for your prayers on, on this trip as we'll be meeting with some church leaders there. But Oh, no mountain climbing, by the way, unfortunately. Uh, but when this missionary returned from New Guinea, he was asked, tell me what you found in New Guinea when you first arrived. And he, and he said, oh, I, you know, I found people were so uncaring. They didn't have any moral sense of right and wrong. And and, and he, said, he said, if a mother were carrying her little baby and it began to cry, that mom would just toss, toss the baby into the ditch, let it die. And if he, said, if, uh, he said, if a man saw his father break his leg, he would leave him on the roadside to suffer by himself. They, they had no compassion there whatsoever. And, and so he was asked by that person, well, what what'd you do? Surely you preached to them and taught them differently. And, and the missionary said, no, not at first. He said, I thought it better to show them my faith by my works. And when I saw a baby crying, he said, I picked it up. And I loved it and I consoled it said when I saw a man with a broken leg I tried to mend it When I found people distressed and hungry I took them in I comforted them, I fed them and that missionary said finally they began to ask why are you doing this he said when they asked that question that was the open door to preach the gospel to them You know, here's the truth. If you go around at work or at school only preaching hellfire and brimstone, your message will probably be met with skepticism. And there is a place and a time to teach and preach about this horrible place called hell. And it seems like the church today has gotten away from this because, you know, we we want it to be, uh, you know, seeker-sensitive, user-friendly, and we sure don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. So there is a place to teach and preach on that. But But if the only way you intend to reach people for Christ is by trying to scare them with the concept of hell, you're probably not going to make much of a difference in their lives. That the key is to show compassion to the needy and the hurting and the sorrowing. The key is to show compassion to the alcoholics and the drug addicts. And when we begin to do that, I think you'll find that we will begin to hold their hearts in the palm of our hands. You know, as a pastor, I can say this. We don't necessarily need more preaching in this community. We probably have too much preaching. We need probably more action, more compassion, more love. And yes, there is a place, again, for the ministry of the Word. but, But we need a revival of compassion well, secondly, a dead faith has no spiritual vibrancy. It just becomes a dead form. Uh, you know, you can believe in God and die and go to hell. Because Satan believes in God. James chapter two nineteen says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And, and that word shudder in, in the original Greek language carries the meaning of a person being so frightened that, that their hair stands up on the back of their neck. I mean, just, you, you've seen these cats when they're, you know, they're, they're, they're mad and they're hissing at, a, at, a, at another cat and their, their hair is, is up like that. And, and that's kind of the connotation of, the, of this word shudder. Even the demons believe that there is one God and they shudder. The, the hair stands up. But you know what? They have no spiritual vibrancy. They believe in God. But there is no life. Let me, um, let me illustrate it this way. Suppose the devil wanted to join the Eldorado Springs Church of God Holiness. And, and by the way, today the devil is not so much fighting churches from the outside. He fights churches by joining them. Yeah, the majority of church problems don't come from the outside. They come from inside. Satan joins churches. He works through good people. But suppose he wanted to join this church. And so we're going to question him before accepting him. And I say, okay, Mr. Devil, do you want to be part of this church? Oh, yes, I do. Well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross? Yes, I was there. I saw it. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Yes, I saw it with my own very eye, my, my, my very own eyes. Well, are you willing to be baptized? Well, of course. Okay, if if we receive you into this church, will you attend faithfully? Oh, yes. I'll even attend more than most of your members. Ouch. Okay, Mr. Devil, if you join this church, well you'll have to get involved in a ministry. Are you willing? Oh, yes. I'll serve in the orchestra, the, the praise band. Uh, in fact, I'll even serve as a board member. And I'd be most happy to fill in for your pastor. You know, the Bible says that Satan is transformed as an angel of light. And that way he can teach and preach and fool many people. Now, after hearing that, before we accept him as a member, I would say, Mr. Devil, let me just ask you one more question. Are you willing to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior and have a personal, living, vibrant relationship? And at that point, Satan would recoil and say, never. You see, Satan believes in Jesus. But it's a dead faith. Now, by virtue of all of our being in church this morning, I think that we all believe in Jesus. But the question is, do you have spiritual life? Do you have spiritual vibrancy? Um, do you have communion with Him? Do you have those times when you sense that closeness with Him? When, when you come to church, do you commune with Him? Uh, or is your church attendance just a habit or a social event? A faith that is alive should bring about a worship that is alive. And, and if you can go through a service, if, if you can not sense God's presence and engage your heart and mind and soul in worship, and if you can go throughout the day without seeing God's guiding presence, then presence, possibly your faith, my faith, our faith is a dead faith. Well, the third mark of a person with a dead faith is there is no evidence of a changed life. You know, some of the old timers used to tell the story of a train back out west, stopped by an outlaw. He was going through every car with a mask over his face and gun in his hand, taking, you know, everything, a value bills, everything. Finally, as he got to one of the people, there was a man that he was trembling all over. And he looked at the bandit and said, please, sir, don't take my billfold." And he said, I'm just a poor preacher. And when the outlaw heard that, he said, oh, are you a preacher? Well, I'm also a Christian. Good to meet you. Shake, brother. You know, too many people today claim Christianity, but they don't live it. They say, shake brother, but they're not a brother in Christ. That's why, you know, in the church today, there's as much gambling, there's as much cussing. That's why so many Christians don't pay their bills. There's no difference. There hasn't been the evidence of a changed life. If you have genuine salvation, there will be a change in your life. Your life will have works. And, and you're not saved by works, but you're saved by a faith that works. And then James gives an example of what we're talking about. He mentions um, Abraham. said, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture, and by the way, you can read this in Genesis chapter 15, was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness as he was called God's friend. So Abraham believed God in Genesis chapter 15. Now, when did Abraham offer Isaac as a sacrifice? Well, that was in Genesis chapter 22, probably about 30 years later. So what James is saying is that in Genesis 15, Abraham said he believed God, but in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham showed that he believed God by being willing to sacrifice his son. You see the difference there? Believed. And then there was the tangible action. And and by the same token, what you say on Sunday must be evident on Monday. Our no-so salvation that is made possible by grace must be a show-so salvation that is evident through works. And if you see a person, listen to this, if you see a person who says he's saved, but yet he cusses and lies and takes advantage of people and has no compassion on lost people, you can just mark it down. He's probably not converted. Well, James gives one more illustration. It's an illustration of a dead body. In James chapter 2, verse 26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, I don't know who to pick on here. Um, all of you are saying, not me, please. Quentin, would you mind... would would you uh, thank you for being so willing and so excited to help me out here in my message but would you come right up here and I want you to lay down are you going to be able to get up okay lay down and don't move okay Um, now you know traditionally um, how how can we tell if if there's life you know if if he's not moving and you know we can kind of kick him a little bit, and he doesn't move, and he, uh, you know, we can say all kinds of things about him, you know, nice shoes there, Quentin, Um, nice beard, Uh, you know, we can can just give all kinds of compliments, Um, but if he doesn't eventually move, we're going to come to the conclusion that, you know, we need to call the coroner, and uh, you know, a funeral home. And, uh, because he's dead. And and regardless of what we say, you know what, he's a nice looking specimen here. And, uh, you know what, they did such a good job and he looks at peace, looks so peaceful, you know, all those things that doesn't change anything. You know, if there's no movement, eventually, uh, he's, um, we're not going to give him life by saying false things about it. You know, someone said, well, you know, if a dog has four legs and you decide to call his tail a leg, then how many legs will he have? Well, he'll still have four legs because it doesn't matter what you call his tail. It's still a tail, not a leg. And it's the same way, you know, with a body. You can say all kinds of things about it. But if, you know, in our walk with God, if there are no works ever, we're going to have to come to the conclusion that, you know, we're dead. And... You know, you can call in anything you want. But it's dead. And you know, sometimes people give the appearance of life. They, they go to church. Sometimes they, they put a Bible on their coffee table. They dust it off. They will go back to their baptism as if it's their get out of hell free card. Or, or they may listen to Caleb. Or pay their tithe. But a faith that doesn't change the way you live is a dead faith. And as I've said many times, if your religion hasn't changed your life then you had better change your religion because faith without works is dead thank you quentin a dead faith has no compassion it has no spiritual vibrancy no evidence of a changed life therefore has had no conversion and so the, the, the question that I want to just ask you today is not, do you believe in God? Because I think probably all of us, at least 99% of us, believe in God. The question is not, have you been baptized? Not anything else. The question is, have you truly been converted? Is there spiritual life? within you you know I read a story that really impacted me it's a story told by Doug Nichols and he was serving in India in the country of India and he came down with tuberculosis and so uh, he was went into a TB sanitarium for several months and, and while there and of course he didn't speak uh didn't speak Hindi and yet he tried to give you know just much of a witness as much of a witness for Christ as possible and uh, and he had some gospel literature but they were all refusing it he tried to give it to uh, you know to the patients to the doctors to the nurses and everyone refused and he could sense that they weren't happy about being an American uh, that he was an American in there and And he writes this. He said, The first few nights I woke around 2 o'clock in the morning coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed one of the older and sicker patients across the aisle trying to get out of bed. He would sit up on the edge of the bed and try to stand, but in weakness would fall back into bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. Finally, uh, he fell back into bed exhausted. And he said, I heard him crying softly. The next morning, I realized what the man had been trying to do. He had been trying to get up and walk to the bathroom, but he didn't have the strength to get up. As a result, a stench coming from his bed was awful. Other patients patients yelled insults at the man. Angry nurses moved him roughly from side to side as they cleaned up the mess. One nurse even slapped him. The old man curled into the ball and just wept. So the next night, I again woke up coughing. I again noticed... The man across the aisle sit up and try to stand, like the night before he fell back whimpering. He wrote, I don't like bad smells, and I didn't want to become involved. But I got out of bed and I went over to him. And when I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened wide with fear, and I smiled, put my arms under him, and picked him up. He was very light due to old age and advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom which was just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up, carried him back to his bed. As I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled and said something I couldn't understand. The next morning, another patient woke me and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He motioned with his hands that he wanted the gospel literature I had been offering and had been refused up to that point. As the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they also wanted the booklets that I had tried to distribute before. Throughout the day, nurses, interns, and doctors asked for literature. Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language visited me, and as he talked to others, he discovered that several had put their trust in Christ as a result of reading the gospel literature. What did it take to reach these people with the gospel? A trip to the bathroom. You know, I believe there's some people that are going to go to hell because they missed salvation by 12 inches. They had it here, but they didn't have it here. Their faith was an intellectual faith. It never translated into any compassion or good deeds or vibrancy. You know, at the Church of God Holiness, I want our faith to be more than just a dead faith. I I want it to be more than just talk. I want it to be alive. I want my faith to have compassion towards you and towards others. I want your faith to be alive, full of compassion. Again, I'm not sure that we're going to win a lot more people to the Lord just by a bunch of preaching. If you go on the street corner and get a loudspeaker system and start preaching hellfire and brimstone, I don't think we're going to win people to the Lord. There may be an isolated one. There's a place for it in some countries. But I believe if we're going to reach this community that we've labeled, labeled as the meth community, alcoholics, Families that are dysfunctional. If we're going to reach them, for Jesus Christ, it's not going to be by going to them and saying, you're going to go to hell, buddy. It's going to be because we're there with a helping hand. Loving them in the stench. Loving them in their condition. Even though they might have gotten themselves in that condition themselves yet we still love them. So I pray that today God would give us a revival of compassion. If we don't have it, it's a dead faith. And so would you take that faith that you've received by grace. The root is there. This week could we show some fruit. And I pray that When they talk about the Church of God holiness, that they would not, of course, refer to us. We want all honor and glory to go to God, but they would say, you know, those people there at the church, there's something about them they love, they have compassion. And when we begin to do that, I guarantee you, we won't be able to fit everybody in this church because people will want to know what's different wonderfully different about us. Would you bow your heads? Father, we uh, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul that helps us to understand that salvation is by grace through faith. We can't earn our way to heaven. But then thank you for James that Helps us to understand that really uh, it's the works that's going to provide the circumstantial evidence to others that there's something different about us. God, give us a revival of compassion that this week we would love people. The person who cuts us off on the road, that we would just love them, that we would not yell or honk our horn. Lord, as we go out to eat this week and maybe the wait staff doesn't do a real good job on our food or the cooks burn it or whatever, and we have to wait a long time, Lord, instead of cutting our tip in half, may we maybe just double it. Instead of yelling at them, we would just show that there's something wonderfully different about us. God, I'm not talking about just being a doormat where everybody walks over us and abuses us. That's not, that's not it. But, Lord, sometimes we want to demand our rights, but really, we don't have any rights. Lord, I pray that our lives, our lives would be such a reflection of Jesus. Lord, you were spit on when you, you were here on earth and you didn't spit back. You were slapped and you didn't slap back. There was no revenge, it was all love. They're in the ultimate act of brutality. You were nailed to a cross. And instead of saying, You'll get yours, you said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So, Lord, when somebody spouts off at us, treats us in a wrong way, that we would have the attitude of Christ and say, Lord, forgive them and not be holier than thou when we do it, that we would just quietly in our own hearts and minds just understand that maybe they're having a bad day. We don't know what's going on and that we would be able to see past that and say, that's not really them. Lord, when our spouse maybe is short to us that we would not just go off but that we would go the extra mile. So Lord, as we show compassion let it begin at home. Sometimes we are the most brutal to our own family. Let the compassion start there. Let it go to the streets to work, to the grocery store, to the gas station. And Lord, let it end up at church. And We're pretty good about showing compassion here but Lord, when we all meet together for the next Lord's Day, that we could just celebrate that we have been people with a spiritual vibrancy. Oh, God, would you do a work in our midst? And I thank you for what you're going to do with us, through us. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go make a difference.